Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's podcast. We are a church from the downtown area of Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we listen to God's word from the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. We pray that the Lord will draw us to him as we find ourselves in the story of God amidst suffering. We're in the book of Genesis, working our way through, uh, through Joseph's life, but I wanted to real quickly jump into a teaching of Jesus uh, before we get into our text today, and hopefully uh, it'll make sense a little bit later as we go through it. Um, if you've missed anything in the, the story of God through the life of Genesis, and as we're going, God has spoken to us through story. If, you've, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and get the podcast as you're kind of popping in and popping out on the story of God, and, and it can sometimes be a little bit... Uh, like disorienting if you're not really sure where or what's going on. So I'd encourage that. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Sermon on the Plain, um, other Gospels, but as he's teaching, he's, he's trying to, to speak in a, in a way that, that right sides up, like, like religion as a whole. It's been kind of, it seems like he's turning it upside down, but I think he's taking it from what it was and, and, and correcting it and helping people understand what is the kingdom of God? What is it supposed to look like? What, what does it mean? And he comes proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. So he's saying, it's, it's coming, I'm here. And in the section in, in there, he's talking at one point about people having all kinds of worry or anxiety for, for very common needs. They were, they were stressed about what to eat or what they will drink or, or what clothes they would wear. And he's trying to establish them a, a different way of thinking to, to reorient themselves to a kingdom mindset. Matthew six thirty one through 33 says it this way. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so what it seems Jesus is saying is he's saying that your actions are kind of an indicator of what you believe about God. He's saying in this, the, the worrier or an anxious person, in the moment of worry, in that moment when they're experiencing that worry, isn't trusting that God and his timing and his, his understanding and, and providing for our needs and wants is, is more important to worry than to trust him in those situations. And they may be very real worries or tangible things, but it seems like Jesus is saying, look, this is, this is not the way to live. When he uses the term Gentile, he's saying those that are not a part of the kingdom of God yet or are not. Saying they, that's what they worry themselves about. But you, you shouldn't. You should reorient yourself and look this look a different way. Following Jesus is all about a kind of a, a transfer from one kingdom, ours, self, the world, into another, God's kingdom. And so, so he's saying through the kind of, from the angle of provision and worry, he's saying, no, no, no the, the gospel's good news because it releases us from the confines of a broken, worry-filled world and transfers us to an altogether different set of circumstances and way to live. The gospel is, is good news because we don't have to relentlessly pursue things in fear of not having them or only to be worry-filled as losing them at some point at the end of the day or afterwards. It's good news that the kingdom of God is breaking into our reality now even before Jesus restores it to its entirety. This is good news because we have access to seek and pursue this thing as opposed to worry about all of these other things in our life. 
as we've been saying since the very beginning of our study in, in Genesis, that we said, look, God is writing his story and that we will flourish if we find ourselves in his story regardless of our circumstances. And we, we know that, that, that the reason that God is doing that is because we've been looking over and over again that God is good, he's sovereign, he's in control, he knows the hardships, he knows the difficulties as we've been looking through the story in this way. So why do I, I start with Matthew today is because where we pick up in the story of Joseph, we, we see that Joseph is securing all the things necessary for the people of God to thrive in exile, in, in a land that is not God's chosen land for them. And so we see all kinds of reasons in Joseph's life for anxiety and worry. If you go back and look at all the things he's experienced, all the things he's gone through, and, and the, the, the narrative is, is silent to us for the most part. We don't get a lot of the wrestlings that he has. But, but it wouldn't surprise any of us if it, there were many moments where Joseph was struggling with worry or anxiety or wrestling with it to whatever means that may be with him. And as we, we get into the story of Joseph, last week we, we talked about how Jacob and the family were making their way to Egypt to see Joseph for the first time. The brothers obviously had seen Joseph, but, but dad hasn't seen Joseph yet. And so the story kind of goes like this, where, where um, and you can go and look at it through Genesis 46, 28 through 47, 31. I will not cover every single verse today. We don't have time for that. Um, unless you want that, we could, no, sorry, okay, um, so he's going, the Jacob's making his way there. It says that he sends Judah, Judah ahead again. And so Judah is kind of, he's come in. We talked about him last week and the importance of him, but he's come in and he's, he's headed ahead. And, and Joshua or Joseph hears that they're getting close. And so Joseph leaves Egypt and heads to Goshen, which is a, is a really fertile, beautiful part of land that like the Nile, even in, in extreme circumstances where it was drought season would still have water to reach this area. It was a good, like a very fertile soil, like wonderful place of life just outside of Egypt. And Joseph meets his family there. All, all 70 are now together. And, they're, and the only thing we get in that reunion with dad and Joseph is just that they just hugged and, and weeped on each other's necks. And just sat there and, and cried and cried and cried. And so then where we pick up, Joseph now says, okay, I got to get to work. And so Joseph um, doesn't just assume that they will be given everything that, that they expected. And so he has this plan and tells him, hey, we're going we're gonna to go meet with the Pharaoh. And you're going you're gonna to tell him what you do. And this is how you're going to say it. He's coaching his brothers. And, and the hope is, is that he's gonna, we're going to secure a land for you in a way that you can be here and do these things. And so the brothers go to Joseph. And I don't have a ton of time to talk about this, um, but it's really important for us to at least highlight. Joseph is on top of everything. Like Egypt has been under his control. And really, Pharaoh has not had to worry about it because it's been Joseph's plan all along. Joseph's just kind of been operating this way. But Joseph does something really brilliant here that I think is really important for us to understand. He, he shows submission to authority. I know that's a term we all love so much, right? But he, sh- he shows his willingness to, to go to the Pharaoh and not presume that, that even though Pharaoh said, yeah, bring him, I'll give him land and do these things, he still submits his brothers to, to Pharaoh. And so he brings the, only five of the brothers, and we don't know which ones, you know, but like he brings five of them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asks some questions, and Pharaoh says to them, like, okay, great, you're shepherds, that's awesome. Um, we're going to keep you in the land of, of Goshen. Why don't you take that land, that, that beautiful land, because it's, it's got a great spot for all your flocks. The brothers tell him, hey, we've brought our own, 
livestock. We're not, we're not coming to take your livestock over. We just need a place to care for our livestock. And this is what we've done our whole life. And Pharaoh does something so wonderful for the people of God that, that at this moment, it just seems like it's safeguarding their life, but really it, it's what helps them be fruitful and multiply to the extent that they do in Egypt for those 400 years. He puts them in fertile land, like the best of the land, and then he gives them a job. And so, so these, these Canaanites coming into Egypt would have been aliens with zero rights in the Egyptian community. But, but Pharaoh says, hey, if, if there's any able men in your, in your family, while you're taking care of your herds, why don't you put them in charge of all of my livestock too? And so he, by doing that, he safeguards them. They're now employees. They're now, they now have rights that they wouldn't have had as sojourners in a, in a land that is not theirs. And so this is a really powerful thing that, that Pharaoh does for them safeguards uh, fertile soil for them to be fruitful and multiply like crazy, which is awesome. And so everything like looks good. Okay, cool, check. Brothers, family, kids are cared for in a, in a famine, in good land. Great, now they got a new job, like a high-paying job. They got a promotion. Like things are great. This is looking good. Well, then Jacob comes in to meet with Pharaoh. And this is really important for us. We're going to talk about it in the coming weeks. But, but Jacob comes in, and Joseph has to stand him up. The language in the, it like, is literally like he has to be physically held up. So Joseph is pretty frail at his 130 years. And, and Pharaoh and, and, or Jacob is very frail. Jacob and Pharaoh have this conversation, and it ends ultimately with Jacob blessing Pharaoh. And that's really unique because there's no misunderstanding of Pharaoh's position and what he is, at least on worldly standards. He would be seen as a someone way higher than Jacob, yet Jacob is the one who blesses Pharaoh, which is actually, we'll talk about it, is actually showing that, that Jacob is in some ways positioned higher than, than Pharaoh. Also, what Jacob is doing is fulfilling a lot of the promises, at least initially, of the, the whole world will be blessed by, by the people of God. And also, those who bless the people of God will be blessed. So, so Jacob's saying, hey, because you're blessing us, I'm going to bless you now. And so he has this really cool interaction and, and talks about how his, his days are few, even though they've been 130 years and, and they've been str- like full of strife, but now it's kind of looking up. And then Jacob, we learn from the end of this text, lives another 17 years in the land of Egypt. And so we, we find ourselves in this story of, oh, sorry, right after, so then right after that, then the narrative switch. Okay, family's taking care of, dad's in town, brothers and family are in town. All right back to work. And so then the narrative switches back to Joseph and starts talking about what Joseph has to do for the last three to f- or four to five years. We don't know exactly how many of, or three to four, it's one of those two, years of the famine. And so what happens is we start seeing this progression happen where, where all of a sudden all the people, the e- Egyptians and the, the land of Canaan is all dried up. So everyone's kind of made their way to the, to the Egyptian dynasty now. And it's all kind of, kind of getting as close as they possibly can because there's nowhere else to get food or seed. Like there's nowhere. It's, it's, it's a lost cause everywhere else. It's dry and desolate and gone. And so people are coming to him now after another year of like, hey, we've, we've given you all the money we have to buy food from you. So we, we, can't, we have zero money to buy food from you. So well, the next thing we can do is we can give you all of our livestock. And the livestock now would have been a, an asset for people. It would help them make money. It would help them tend land. It was how they traveled. Like the livestock was the central part of, of the, the kind of the lifestyle. In fact, this is the first time the word horse shows up in scripture in this section. And so, so they're like, we're gonna, we're gonna mortgage all of these two Pharaoh, so that we can have food to eat. 
and they do that. So now, most likely what happened is it's not that Pharaoh took all of that livestock into his own pens, but that they kept them in place, but they were mortgaged now. So now those livestock were, were working their own fields, but they were owned by Pharaoh. Another year passes by, and all of a sudden, the people are starting to starve again. And this isn't like hangry, like a little hungry, right? Like they're, they're like, they're, we're going to die if we don't eat. It's, it's that level of, of desolation and struggle. And they're, they're, so then they come again to Joseph and say, hey, we don't have any money. We don't have any livestock. All we have left is our land and ourselves. And Joseph says, that'll work. And he takes all of their land and puts it underneath the, the, the rule and ownership of Pharaoh and then gives them seed to work their land and, and then says, and you're going to work kind of now as an employee for me, the word servant can be seen as slave. I'll talk about that here in just a second. And, um, and then you're going to have to give me, you're going to have to give Pharaoh one-fifth of everything, 20% of anything you do, any crop, anything at all, 20% needs to come back to Pharaoh. And, and again, this is hard because in, in our day and age, we, I think, rightfully see all the, the struggles and issues with slavery. The way that this is happening right now is the only way to safeguard a famine. By bringing everyone central into one area under one authority, it's the only way to survive the, 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 the desolation that the land is happening here. And we see the response of the people isn't, oh no, I'm, I'm now giving up myself and I have to work for, the, work for Pharaoh. Because everyone knew in this day if, if the Pharaoh got angry enough, he could just take what he wanted. And so what Joseph was doing here was something that made more sense to the people of Israel because they had rules about servitude and slavery, that there was a, a jubilee year and there's going to be a releasing of people. But what we do find out is Moses, Moses is writing, he says, to this day, so whenever this is being written, 300-ish years later after the event, this is still the way it operates. So it was a wise enough plan that it made sense for it to keep going this way and they were able to live. The other thing that we see is we see the people not say, okay, fine, I'll do this. They say something that's really profound as Joseph and many things that we look at in the scripture are an archetype or a shadow to pointing to the Messiah. They say, you have saved our lives. And so they're, they're ex- excited with joy. They proclaim, you've saved our lives. You've given us a way out. And so in this situation, yes, they are slaves, but they're more seen as employees as opposed to self-employed. And as employees, not only do they get guaranteed income, they also have uh, military backing as well. And so, again, that's kind of how it's seen in this situation. And so Joseph does this um, incredibly, and we're told at the end of the section that, that for another 17 years, uh, Jacob lives there. Jacob pulls in Joseph close to the end of his life and makes him swear an oath that he would take his bones and bury him with his fathers and grandfathers in the land, in the promised land. And Joseph says, yes, I'll do that, which then leads us into the blessings and curses stuff that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. And so Joseph operates with immense humility to Pharaoh. He doesn't, he doesn't have to really get permission from him, but by doing so, it actually gives his family more than even maybe he'd hoped would happen, but more than just a safe place to live and to survive the famine, but actually gives them rights that they wouldn't have had. Joseph is incredibly humble with the fair. He, he shows incredible care for his family, a family that, let's be honest, has not treated him the best. He goes on and, and displays a, a kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that, that Jesus talks about in Matthew where 
where the people are saying, you said this about John the Baptist, and now you say this about me. And it's like they're saying opposite things. He says, look, wisdom is justified by her deeds. It's not enough to be a smart person. If Joseph was just a smart person, he might have been able to think up these scenarios. But, but how do you get people to, to remove themselves from land and do all these things and still follow the authority? It can't just be because they're hungry, because once they get a little bit full and they have food again, you know my propensity and your propensity and man's propensity. Like You're going to drift pretty quickly. But, but Joseph operates with a wisdom that is so displayed in the deeds of what he does. He's not just a smart person with a good idea. He's walking it out beautifully by the strength of God in a lot of ways. And in all of this, Joseph seems to be incredibly faithful. And as we've been working our story, our, our way through the story of God in Genesis, in Joseph's life, we've seen that, that it's, not, it's not that Joseph has had everything he's wanted and gotten everything he's wanted exactly when it was supposed to happen. It's not like it's Joseph here operating with humility. In fact, most of us would say, man, once Joseph had power and had position and had opportunity to, to kind of be in place, like he could have exploited this land and gotten himself some more. And no one really would have said much because no one could. But he continues to operate through deeply painful scenario, scenarios with this, this grace and this wisdom and this and again, the narrative's silent. We don't know some of his wrestlings, how many nights he had, like some of the psalmists where he's just lamenting his scenario, how much he's pleading before God through the strife. Like, I'm sure that happened. But we see him do this over and over again. In every scenario, too, it's interesting. Every scenario, like, he gets sold into slavery. I mean, maybe he was a little brat and a little, like, like kind of deserved to be, like, put in his place. No one would say he deserved to be sold into slavery, but he's sold into slavery and just the Lord moves him into, the, into Potiphar's house and quickly he's risen to the top as a slave, has a comfy home, comfy place, and he's in charge of all of Potiphar's household. And then he gets wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife and gets thrown in jail. And very quickly he's, whatever this looks like, risen to the top in, in the pit. <laughs> like he's in charge of the pit. And, and operating because God is with him. We keep, we keep seeing in the narrative, God is with him and God is with him. It's hard for me to not to look back at this and think that at some point he must have really taken heart to that. Because when he finally had the opportunity to be a little shady and a little like, hey, I'm gonna get my family what they want. Let's get some nepotism. Let's get him some work here. You know, like, like when he finally had the opportunity to use all that he had for his benefit, which would have been good things to care for the basic needs of people, he continually operated in a faithful way. So it really shouldn't shock us when he has a chance to be shady that he doesn't because he hadn't yet. It shouldn't shock us that he, he continually seems to be faithful in his walk with life. Even when, like we talked about last week, when family is brought to the wilderness, or when Joseph was brought to the wilderness and took 20-ish years of, of development to be sanctified, to get into position and prominence and experience, blessing like he had. How does Joseph do it? What allows Joseph to operate through so much pain and so much time in a faithful way to God? And it'd be really easy for us to look back and go, well, I mean, he's just, you know, he's in the Bible, so he's, he's perfect, which we've already established that no one that God shows us in the Bible. In fact, we've established that God is using broken people to bring broken people to himself. Like, they're all broken. They're all messed up. So what is it? He gives us the answer in Genesis 50. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. In Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20. 
This is right after his brothers um, are afraid because dad's dead that, that Joseph hasn't forgiven them. Now, remember, 17 years, people, 17 years of enjoying position and land and multiplying and blessing because of Joseph's position and his brother 17 years later believe it's only because of Joseph's relationship with dad. We'll talk more about that in the coming, but Joseph is, he's, he, it, literally, he's saddened. He cries about this. He says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Like, am, am I God? Like, do I have that kind of control? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Translation, I have been living and working for God this whole time. I have been, this whole time, I have found myself in the story of God and I found what he is doing in and through me for his redemptive plan. Joseph has, has through the, the wilderness of slavery and imprisonment and falsely accused and into position and all along the way, God has been, been molding him and sanctifying him and, and establishing him into who he is today to where he is fully confident, even at the moment when he is still probably infuriated and frustrated with these brothers, he can say, I'm not God. I know who God is. He's, he's the reason I'm in this place. He's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. He's the reason that we have survived. It's all God. Joseph has oriented himself to thinking only about what God would have him do, what his purpose is for God's story. And he has been able to do that. Again, I wish we had like maybe a psalm or two from Joseph when he was in some of these things so we could understand some of the more emotion in there, but we, we don't. But through his journey, we see, have seen so much pain and struggle. And I'll be honest, like personally, as I've walked through the journey of Joseph, I find myself very regularly wondering if I would actually even operate closely to how Joseph is seeming to operate. Like there seems to be a pretty big divide, per, at least for me personally, like a pretty big divide in, in what Joseph does and what I'm sure I would have done in that moment. And as we've been working our way through the story of of. Joseph and what God is doing, or the story of God through the life of Joseph, and what God is doing in, um, in our own lives, as I've walked, uh, like had the joy to walk with many of you in, in, the, in the struggles, in the wilderness, and the, and the issues that you're all wrestling with, as we try to, to, to transpose what God is doing in his story in Joseph's life, and try and put it into our own life, there's just been this, like, a little bit of angst for all of us, like excitement, like I can see God doing this, or or I've I've seen how the Holy Spirit has, has answered promise or like past questions in your life, and it's been such a joy to watch um, both myself and everyone kind of wrestle through this. But as I, I was uh, coming to this section and looking at um, kind of Joseph's life, I still uh, tend to at least personally go, man. I get it, there's, there's, there's trusting God and his sovereign will and we see his sovereignty even when you do everything right and it doesn't go the way you want. We, I mean, we talked about this all the way through. Man, Joseph's like seemingly worry-free, anxious-free, like just kind of operating at a really high level, like seems very competent to do what he is set out to do. And every time someone tries to compliment him or any time someone tries to give him credit, he always is quick to say, not me, but God. Not me but God. So what do we do with this? 
And many people had the question last week when it was talking about uh, God alluring us into the, the desert, into the wilderness, to there plant vineyards. And, and we, we talked about that through the life of Jacob, potentially. And, and you can find the, the idea, if you've spent any time in the wilderness, it's, it's always a moment where like, you finally go, okay, cool. I felt like I was being patient and working it out well to an extent at this point in my life. But then as time has moved on, I've noticed that I'm waning in my belief that something good is going to happen out of this. And so how do we live in such a way where we could be patient in the wilderness and trust God in all of our own troubles? And, and believe me, church, like so many deep hurts in this body alone. Just where the, the, the brokenness of sin and this world has just wreaked havoc on so many lives. So it's not like, a, oh, this is wilderness. You know, I, I woke up late and didn't get my latte today. Like, it's not, it's not that kind of hurt. Like, true, deep, like, real hurt. This is why I started with the text I did today, is because I think what Joseph does before he's seen Jesus, what Joseph does before he even knows who the Messiah is, he operates in a way where he is fully fixated on God's kingdom purposes. And so you and I, we have in in God's grace, his word established before us. Maybe Joseph was remembering, he would have had memory of at least some of the Old Testament, the, the Torah stuff, like he would have that memorized maybe, and that was motivation for him to keep going in some way. But like you and I, we have, we sit in a spot in history, we have the entire story of God written in front of us. The only thing we're waiting for is the end when Jesus comes back again. But we see how he's done what he's done through broken people time after time again of people sinning and failing and him being gracious and loving and drawing us into life. And we now get to sit on the other side of the Messiah and the the finished, the completed work of Jesus Christ. So so one would say, I mean, we have a little bit more than Joseph had. So how how do we do this? And this is why I started with the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus. Um... Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, in this, in this text, Jesus uses basic needs, food, clothing, water, as a stand-in for kind of any need, want, or desire that we may have that could be trying to stabilize us or, or help us stabilize in this crazy, unstable world. And so it'd be really easy for me to say, okay, Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious, so just, just stop it, Okay. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Like that, like it'd be easy to just kind of try and do that, right? But we all know that that's not the truth. Like we've, we've tried that. We've wrestled with this. So it's like, okay, we'll just muscle through, get the strength and hope that you can just like, you'll be war torn and like barely limping, dragging yourself into the finish line of, of, of the kingdom of God. So just get more strength. Try harder. You know, muscle through the strength to resist anything, valid concerns, real concerns in your life. Don't ever be anxious about them. Go in peace, I love you. That doesn't work. Adjust your view and just do better. Modify your behavior so it's a little less worrisome. We've all, we've all probably tried all of that on repeat only to find the end of it. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine about this text in, in, in Matthew and, and how it would be so easy to want to say something like this. And he, he responded back with this really wonderful thing. So I'm just gonna read it because it was is perfect for the situation. 
we were talking about like, let's do a sermon like that, kind of jokingly. He said, that would be a dangerous sermon that propels people with an initial push to perform better, but ultimately leaves them in the ruins of not only their worry, but also their failed attempt to resist worry. Is this the kind of state that Jesus wishes to leave his audience with? Is this where he's directing his church with this topic? Without reservation, no. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is wise enough to offer a very practical, albeit difficult solution. He says the antidote to anxiety over the world's problems isn't, is focused, prioritized pursuit of the presence of God's kingdom on earth through God's righteous ways. Worry and anxiety is the unavoidable result when we fail to seek above all else the kingdom and righteousness, ways, ethics, and teachings of Jesus. Pursuit of the kingdom and righteousness, ways, ethics, and teachings of Jesus are the only holistic source of peace, contentment, and hope to be found in this world. So since we can't muscle our way through this, let me real quickly talk about what it means for us to seek his kingdom and righteousness. And and hopefully I'll somehow land it together with Joseph's story. If I don't, you guys can let the Lord do that with you later. First, I want to define seeking. Seeking is to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning, to inquire into, aim at, strive after, to crave for. So in that context, when Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God, he says, seek first. So it means for us to look for it, pursue it, like you really, really want to find it. Have you ever played um, hide-and-seek with a two-year-old? Has that ever happened? They'll, like, go and hide in the middle of the room, you know? But because they can't see you, they think that you can't see them. I think this is the way that God is asking us, that Jesus is asking us to seek the kingdom. Not looking for it through the most intricate, smallest of, like, mathematical ways, but literally looking for it and seeing it as easy as it is to find a two-year-old who's playing hide-and-seek. So that means looking for it in every single thing we do, whether it's work or ministry or family or marriage or free time or vacation or hanging out with friends or gospel community. That means in every single thing we do, we seek, we look for how the kingdom of God is present with us right now here on earth as we wait for it to be as it is in heaven in the resurrection. That means that every single thing that we look at, we look for it expecting it to be there. Not just that I have to go and do it. I have to go to this other world and do this mission and that's when the kingdom of God is happening. No, when you wake up and go get coffee, the kingdom of God can have ramifications and effects in that moment. When you're in the wilderness and everything seems to be coming apart and the wheels are coming off the wagon, the kingdom of God can have an effect and a presence It's looking for it like you're looking for a two-year-old playing hide-and-seek. Expecting to see it in everything. This is what it means to seek. You crave for it. You strive after it. Not again, don't hear strive as tirelessly like, I just got to find the right, like, right shelf that little teeny key's in. No, no, no. It's like striving and like you walked into the room like, oh, there it is. Because God is not hiding his kingdom from his people. In fact, he went to great lengths to bring his kingdom to us. Remember Jesus being born, right? Coming and walking this earth. Like he brought the kingdom to us. And therefore, we in this there but not yet reality of history, not where Joseph was, but we get to be on this part of history where we know that the kingdom has been brought. 
The king has been identified. We know exactly what's coming now. Now we can all disagree about how that's coming, but that's just, that's just the church. We're good at that. But seek it. Look for it. Jesus is talking not about when he says seek. Not, he, he's not talking about a change of behavior. He's change, a change of will. Where it's like, no, I'm, I'm, like my behavior is going to be the same. I'm gonna, he's going to continue to show that, but my, my will, I will see the kingdom in this. The kingdom of God will be alive in me because I'm a part of it. That's what it means. Second thing that comes out of this statement is it means to prioritize our pursuit as both first in time and first in priority. See, I think many things we can do and be like, okay, I'm going to pursue the kingdom of God in this. And, and so you're, you're praying, you're like, I'm going to do this serving thing. And then it becomes like, I did it on the front and then the rest of the time I'm just going to do it on my own. No, I, I think it's, it's not just a first in time, it's a first in priority. The kingdom and righteousness become the primary all-encompassing focus of our lives. That means that everything else is, is, is underneath that motivation. So when I'm looking for work, or I'm doing something socially, like in every situation, those are all good things, and yes, that's wonderful, and, and this is going to help me provide for those basic needs, but we can't let those basic needs become the primary purpose of work, because then we're going to be riddled with worry and anxiety. So it says, no, I'm going I'm to keep myself where, where the kingdom of God isn't just a priority, it's the, the priority. It's the way I live my life today. It's the way I allow the Spirit to work through me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one of those people that's annoying the snot out of everyone else because I'm talking about the kingdom of God and the goodness of all that is in it on a regular basis because I believe I have found it in Jesus Christ who found me and drew me. And therefore, I live for him. And the third thing that's true about this statement, if we're going to take Jesus' words as truth, I would recommend you do, is that the kingdom can only be understood in light of a king. And see, I think it's really easy for us to focus on seeking the kingdom of God when we think of it as kind of ethereal, new heavens, new earth, but we forget that the kingdom of God has a king, and that king is Jesus. And we don't have to just try and understand the the metaphors and the analogies used in Scripture to try and define what the kingdom will look like. We can look at the person of Jesus and go, wait a second, there's a, there's a king. That means, that means that the central revelation comes in the character and work of Jesus. So we, we are a people now that God has revealed that, there, that through the story of the king, Jesus Christ, that the king rules over the kingdom of people and a community. That means his character, his teaching, his ethics, his actions are a prime example and target for anyone belonging to the kingdom. So we don't need to, to, again, like look with anticipation and joy about what it'll be like to have no more tears and no more brokenness and, and true unity. That is f- phenomenal and a, and a wonderful thing to, to, to long for to come to reality. But we can look, how did Jesus live while on this earth? What do you say? The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he started doing kingdom work. And so we now know how we can live, how we can operate, because, because Jesus has not only come to earth to, to, to draw us and save us, but he's come to earth and shown us what it's like to be a part of his kingdom, to live for God's kingdom. And a kingdom where you turn the other cheek, and a kingdom where, where he, he ups the ante of all laws and says, no, 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 like, you thought it was laws, but I'm not after the laws, I'm after the heart. A kingdom that, that, can, that can love people and still hold the truth. 
a kingdom that is powerful. It's a reality that's, that's based in him. The fourth thing is he says, he doesn't just say seek the kingdom of God, he says, and it's righteousness. They, to divorce those two is impossible. The kingdom and the king and, and righteousness go together. Um, the kingdom isn't a nice idea. It's a reality based in the character, teachings, ethics, and actions of a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So it's not just a nice idea. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a factual basis of who Jesus is and in his character. So to seek first the kingdom and righteousness of God means to become and to continue to become, as a disciple, surrendered to the teachings, ethics, and actions of Jesus Christ. So that when people see our life and the way that we operate in our day-in, day-out stuff, not just when we're like, oh, cool, like high five, we're all going to go do a mission at this moment, or I'm doing it while I'm serving today. No, when they see it in the everyday, they go, you're living for another world that does not make sense to this world. Why would, you, why would you do that with your time, with your money, with your, your, your? Because you said, no, I, I exchanged my kingdom for another. And I am joyfully striving to live by his spirit and his strength what it means to, to live out his kingdom purposes here today. Perhaps the, the more that we come to know and rest in God's ongoing provision, regardless of our circumstances, we, we won't even have a case to worry over a single moment like tomorrow. It's interesting that, that Jesus says it this way. Like Jesus tells us to, to not worry, but he doesn't just say don't worry. He says, hey, you, you want a combat worry, let me give you something better to focus on. Because <laughs> I, think, I think, let's be honest, we're, we're going to have moments of worry <laughs> and anxiety. It's, it's going to happen. There's real things that happen in our life that are scary that continually remind us that we are and never have been in control, are not and never have been in control. Things that will remind us that how frail life is, how quickly things can turn, how, how fast we can get to a wilderness, and how long it can take for him to, to get us out of it. Like, there will be worry, but, but, but Jesus' antidote isn't don't worry and move on. It's, hey, 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 keep your eyes fixated on the kingdom that is here tangibly you can touch right now. I came, I inaugurated, I brought it. It's here. Live in it. Let your prayers be overwhelmed with the, your kingdom come on earth as it is heaven. And not just a, this is what we're supposed to say, but a belief like, God, how do you want me to portray and live your kingdom in this circumstance with these issues, with my brokenness, by your spirit, for your glory alone today, as I go get coffee, as I work, as I parent, as I as I, as I pursue my wife, as I try to, to do uh, life with other broken people. This, this is not a just enjoy it when it happens in the, in the, in the attorney. We can, we can live and, and see it like finding a two-year-old in hide-and-seek today in the life of each other. Is it complete? No, it's not complete. We long for the day of him bringing it to completion. So what does it mean for us to be faithful to seek the kingdom of God regardless of our circumstances. A pastor said it this way when I was looking at what does just faithfulness even look like because if you look at faithfulness, our faithfulness, faith is a gift given by the Lord. So how do, we, how do we walk this out? And I thought he said it really, really beautifully. He said the faithfulness of a Christian, uh, the faithfulness of Christians is they can be trusted and depended on. And if you stop right there, you'd be like, that's not true. <laughs> he goes on and says that they can be trusted and depended on to trust and depend on God in Christ. 
no matter what the circumstance. Let me say it again without interrupting, my, interrupting myself. The faithfulness of Christian is, Christians is they can be trusted and depended on to trust and depend on God in Christ no matter what they are faced with. So how, how, do, we, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? We, we trust that God knows our needs. He knows our wants. We trust that he is faithful. We, we depend on him to provide those things because then I don't have to strive after those things. Is that easy? No. <laughs> In fact, I, I get it. Like, this is one of those things that's really easy, a concept to verbalize and maybe even internalize. Like, I'm gonna really internalize that. But like, walking this out is a whole nother thing. And, and the only thing I can tell you is, is if we had Joseph's journal, I guarantee, I guarantee he had moments that looked like yours and ours. Why, God, in frustration? I, I can't imagine him not having those moments in his life with the things he experienced. But by the grace of God and the strength of his spirit, Joseph was able to continually give himself to the story of God and what he's doing. He found himself in that and said, God is with me, and that is enough. He's with me in the wilderness. He's with me in the, the, the plenty. He's with me in my family. He knows that my brothers, like what they've done, and he's with me in that relationship, and he's with me in my father. He's with me in everything, and Joseph was able to, in that, operate there. My, my only hope for myself in this is that um, I would continually reorient myself to the kingdom of God and trust God that even my most basic needs in life will be given when he desires for those to happen. I'd love to tell you that if you did that for seven years, because that's a holy number, and on the seventh year, he's going to bring it at this point, but that's, that's not how it works, because we're not, we're not meant to rely on what we know. We're meant to rely on him. And so my encouragement would be get to know him as much as possible. Seek him. See, here's... Here's what I'm convinced of in my own life, and maybe this is true of you, and if not, you get this is free. You can just hear my own life. Um, I have found that when it gets desolate and hard and difficult, when I'm in a moment of wrestling or struggling or maybe even feeling like I'm not wrestling or struggling but kind of running from God, in those moments I find in myself the, the ability to reorient my thinking to the kingdom of God is really, really hard if... If I haven't been living for the kingdom of God before this moment, meaning when you're not in the wilderness, when life's seemingly going pretty good, you're like, well, okay, it's, it's okay. Like we've got it. We're finding our rhythm. You know, it's, it's, it's like feeling like it's on repeat over and over and over again. But when it's seeming like everything's kind of looking up, it's in those moments, are you focused on the kingdom? Because if you're not focused on the kingdom, when I'm not focused on the kingdom in those moments, when the desert, when the wilderness comes, oh man, it is so hard for me to see the kingdom of God in that moment. But God in his grace and his faithfulness, and hear this, if you are in the wilderness right now, please hear this. His grace and his faithfulness, he will bring you out of the wilderness because he has promised to complete that which he begun in you. And he doesn't break his promises. He's the only one that's trustworthy. And he will bring you out. And, and my encouragement would be, whether in the wilderness right now, or on the way out, or on the way to, <laughs> or just enjoying the land of vineyards right now, then, then seek his kingdom of, of the most priority. Seek it first as if you're going to find it in every little thing, every nuance, because it's like a two-year-old hiding. 
Seek it in a way that, that knows that, that it's not meant to just be looked at and observed, but to be lived. And there is a way to live this. And Jesus has shown us to do so. I know it sounds overly simple to say, don't, don't worry. And in contrast, just trust God. And yet this is precisely what Jesus is saying, but he's giving us how to do it. You want to, you want to trust God? Like Seek his kingdom. Watch him work. Watch him do. What's, what's amazing to me in my own life is even in the dry, desolate places, how quickly he can use me for his glory and his story in spite of me sometimes. So, so take heart. Let's have joy in knowing that he's going to use you for his story. Whether you're in prison like Joseph or wrongfully sold into slavery, which I'm assuming hopefully none of us ever are, or you're separated from the family of God for a long time, he, he will use that. To, to do what? To, to help you play a part in his story of redeeming a broken people through a bunch of broken people so that we can be in the place of God and the presence of God under the authority of God and our amazing King Jesus who is not only our king but also our example and our, our enabler and our giver of the ability to, through the Holy Spirit to actually do the things that the kingdom calls us to do. So what is it for you? In what ways is God asking you to be faithful in your current circumstances? What is, what is it exactly? And maybe it's maybe it's just maybe it's just take joy. Just be, just take joy in knowing that your current circumstances are not where they were. Maybe for some of us we need to to look in the rearview mirror a little bit further back and and write a story so that we can see, oh God was working all along and I just lost sight of it because these circumstances are really difficult right now. This is hard right now. There are real things that you desire and want and need. Um, how, how might we put the kingdom of God as a priority over these things and trust him to meet those things in his timing and his place? I can tell you it's not just sitting around waiting and hoping you have enough patience, which is probably exhaustible in most of us. But maybe it's, it's a, a waiting with eagerness while being actively present with the kingdom of God today in my life. It seems counterintuitive for us to to stop thinking about the things that we want so badly that are, are real and hard in our life and instead make ourselves for something else. But that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, you want to you experience less worry and anxiety? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then, and then when you see that you have purpose and value and love, which has always been true because you have all of that in Jesus, but when you see that he's, he's doing that through you, all of a sudden it can change you. And maybe even the things you want won't be the things you want anymore because you can't imagine not having them with the kingdom being the priority first. And they may be very good things like you're hungry or thirsty. We're going to take some communion at the end of this next song. The band's going to come up. Um, So you can grab the elements and then we'll take it together after that song. Uh, I wrote it in my notes this way as the band's coming up. It said, the more we learn and grow in our understanding of who God is, we start to see his purposes for our life and how we can flourish in this world, even though for a season we are sojourners here, a part of his kingdom that has been inaugurated but hasn't come fully yet. Um, I, I pray and I hope, God, I pray and I hope and I plead for my own heart um, that I become infatuated with your kingdom. 
in everything, and not in a way to distance myself from relationship here, but in a way that, that would help your kingdom be tangibly seen in the lives of those that are, who are not home yet, Lord. That would help me to live um, in everything you have, from the neighborhood I live in to the, to the work that I do, to the, to the places I go to enjoy, and the vacations I have, and everything that I do, God, that, that your kingdom priority would be first and foremost, and, and I would always have my my ears and my heart attuned um, to listening to what your spirit is leading and how he's leading me to, to live out your kingdom in that moment, God. And I pray, God, I pray as we know that all of us are in this journey, in this story that you are at work building um, your story, making your redemptive plan come to fruition in Christ, God. I pray as we find ourselves in this story, we would, like Joseph, um, We would surrender ourselves to to doing only what you're asking of us, God, faithfully, obediently, um, and not by our own strength, God, but by the strength of your spirit, which you've so graciously given to us in Christ. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org or on the Church Center app. We encourage you not to neglect meeting together as believers, and may you continue to love God and love others.